Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Actually, hey, Ben, before we start, um, do you remember last Thursday on the video, I promised you that I'd come back with a verdict on the new American Pie movie? Yes, I do. And I saw that you posted on uh, the old Facebook that uh, you were watching it. My American Pie Girls Rules, I regret to inform you that I thoroughly enjoyed it. No, I'm I'm like, I'm totally down with it. I saw the cover, though. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed in the cover because there's a guy on it. The guy <laughs> looks like the central character. I'm like, oh, come on. He's the object of their their um, pledge. Yeah, but if it was the other way round, it would, <laughs> she'd just be off in the corner somewhere with her boobs hanging out. And he's like, it makes it look like the movie's about him. Well, I'll tell you what, I enjoyed it. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is this is a gender-reversed American Pie that was written, directed, produced, and everything else by a bunch of blokes. Uh, look, as all, as all good... <laughs> as all good female focused films are right <laughs> boo, boo. <No. laughs> you can't see you can't see what i just did there but it was uh it was uh i can't even i don't even know how to explain it it was a bit of collar pulling it's a bit of collar pulling that's what it was good morning good morning good morning that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away. Let me speak for the love of God. Welcome to Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net. It's great to be with you for another week. Uh, glad you could make it. If you're a new listener and aren't already aware, well, the place you found us today is not the only place you can find us. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, all over the place, really. Uh, it's never just me on this show, so here to wax some... Uh, Wax some lyrical like the real Slim Miyagi, the Zen mix master himself, Ben Helwig. Hey, Ben, how are you? <laughs> Thoroughly confused by that <laughs> intro. <laughs> the real Slim Miyagi. That uh, I want that on. A, I want that on a Letterman jacket. <laughs> and don't forget the Zen mix master. And the Zen mix master, but that's no like you know, that goes hand in hand with the <laughs> with the Slim Miyagi. <laughs> let's uh let's consider them the formalities out of the way we're excited about this show a bit later on we're going to be talking with the hollywood all-rounder peter facinelli who directed the new thriller the vanished and it's pretty damn good uh conversation i had with him if his name sounds familiar that's because he's been in some pretty iconic stuff over the years most notably the twilight series and as ben would attest nurse jackie and um well the uber geek in me still can't separate him from mike dexter from can't hardly wait amanda one of the great house party films of them all wouldn't you say i would i would say i would agree that is a that is a, a seemingly forgotten gem because nobody talks about it it's not like a, it's not up there with those great like american pie type comedies but it is as good as American Pie, in my opinion. Well, I could not help myself. Coming up on Tuesday, there is a video of Peter and myself doing a rapid fire, and I had to bring good. I had to bring um, can't hardly wait into it. Just had to. Did you bring up uh, Big Kahuna? I did not. I should have. Okay. I mean, there's not much to talk about in that one. There's only Danny DeVito and some other guy who you're not allowed to talk about on the internet anymore. <laughs> it's just it's them. It's them in a room. It's just them in a room. That's the whole movie. It's them in a room. 
and they're selling. It's no Tin Men. That's what I, I'll, I'll put it that way. It's no Tin Men. <laughs> oh shit! Well, to connect with today's uh, theme, we're gonna well, we're gonna connect today's show to Peter's film. So we're gonna talk about serial killers for the next hour. I can't wait to hear what Ben dishes up. So keep listening, and um, we'll get to that in just a moment. But of course, no show is complete without the rest of them. So coming up soon, we've got a word on what's new with uh, Jarrett from Monster Fest, a weekly recap from Guillermo at Screen Realm, recommendation from Adam from Adam's Just Seen, and a killer segment from the guys at Bonehead Weekly. This Friday, you won't know where. You ever seen anything like that before? Yes. You won't know when. He began to see the murders as a competition. You won't know who. <laughs> I hope we're hunting the right man. Until it's too late. Who are you? From the producer of Terminator and Aliens. No prints, no weapon, no witnesses. Rated R. Everywhere this Friday. Uh, ben, I just wanted to drop a quick plug for Lunar Drive-In. Now that it's December, uh, they've got a bunch of Christmas stuff lined up and I wanted to give them a plug. Uh, if you're into Christmas and festive screenings, um, well, they've already screened in The Happier Season, which is a new release Christmas film. But if uh, you visit their website at lunardrivein.com.au, make sure you hyphenate the drive-in, then you'll find information on upcoming screenings of movies like The War with Grandpa, Home Alone, Love Actually, Bad Santa, Elf, and the Jim Carrey version of The Grinch. So... Uh, and if you're a Grinch yourself, they've also got stacks of other stuff. There is a Blumhouse uh, triple feature of Get Out, Split, and Invisible Man, to name some others. So get along to the driving. Have they dedicated one screen to nothing but Hallmark movies? That's, we need. There's an idea There's an idea for you, Luna Driving. <laughs> Has been celebrities in playing roles that they're obviously way too old for, filled with Christmas cheer and romance. Who doesn't want to watch that at, at a drive? Let's keep that to ourselves. Otherwise, my partner will be their front row centre. <laughs> <laughs> but, dude, something else that caught my eye last week um, is that Peter Dinklage has signed on to star in the reboot of The Toxic Avenger. Oh, yes, I saw this. I saw and, this, yeah. And Dinklage is playing Toxie himself. Amazing. That is a Amazing. stroke of genius, if you ask me. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. Um, I really look forward to uh, seeing how they do it as long as he's not forced to do a too much of a british accent uh it'll be it'll be amazing. surely he's still going to be from tromaville uh what i'm what yeah. i'm led to believe is that this is more of a re-imaging and that the storyline has him already with a family before he's transformed and so it's all about him becoming this superhero that has to save them and the community from corporate greed and corruption according to the press release so is it is it being done by Troma? Troma or um, Michael Hers and Lloyd Kaufman are producing it. I don't know if it's actually Troma, but I mean this is this has been floating in Hollywood for a long time because they were always going to be doing the Toxic Crusaders Hollywood version, you know. Right. Um, so I'm guessing this is sort of what we get at the end of a 20 year wait. I mean, I guess it, look, it would be it would be interesting to see the Hollywood version of the Toxic Avenger like done as a like Hollywood blockbuster, like a family-friendly Hollywood blockbuster yeah. that you could then double feature with the original just to see how, you know, how it should be done. Like, I think that would be fascinating. But then the trade-off should be that Lloyd and, and Michael let the studio, let a studio make Toxic Avenger and then, but they let Troma make the Troma version of like Con Air <laughs> or uh, The Rock or something like that. Now that would be amazing. That would definitely be amazing. Didn't they? They, they made Troma's War. That's the closest as you'll get to like a blockbuster. That's a, yeah, as good as you get. Yeah. 
I, I just wish I'd known about this when I spoke to Lloyd a few weeks ago. That would have been great to talk about. It would have been great. Uncle Lloyd. Well, he has. He, yeah, he's yeah. agreed to come back on the show next year, so I'm definitely going to pick his brain about that. But the interesting thing about this one is it's been directed by a guy called Macron Blair. Do you remember the Elijah Wood movie, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore? It was a really awesome, quirky kind of... Uh, everything he makes is quirky, but it was a... He sort of he was a, a redneck with like a mullet and glasses. I mean, he's always got the glasses. <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> I don't uh... Anyway, that was a great film. So it's promising to have a director like that on board for it. But um... I reckon they, they should have got someone like uh, Michelle Gondry to, uh, <laughs> to like make it really weird, make a really tr- like a tripped out toxic event, mainstream toxic Avenger, like mood indigo type. Uh... <laughs> You know. As if it's not weird enough having Peter Dinklage as Toxie. That's gonna be Or get like or get get Jean Pierre Junot and Marc Caro to reunite and do <laughs> like the French version of Toxic Avenger. How shit that would be amazeballs. <laughs> and yes, I use the phrase amazeballs because <laughs> I'm a twelve year old. I'm a twelve year old who's just discovered the internet. Well, you know, yes. <laughs> Many years ago, uh, Troma released uh, Killer Nerd and Killer Nerd 2, which I, I adore those films, I have to say. Um, that right there is our tenuous segue into our conversation about serial killers. <laughs> but before that, Jarrett's got some massive new release news to tell you about. So I'm going to be broke after this week. There is some massive stuff coming out. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. Now, it's a great week for home entertainment this week as we're seeing some Uh, recently theatrically released films hitting home entertainment, but we're also seeing some classic films get the 4K treatment too. So let's start with Mad Men, and they've got Bill and Ted Face the Music coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. This is the third instalment in the Bill and Ted franchise, and the first film in the franchise in over 29 years. Of course, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter return to reprise their roles in the movie, and whilst I haven't seen it, I'm desperate to check it out, so I'll be picking it up on home entertainment this week for sure. Then coming out from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, first up is The Godfather 3, Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. So if you're a fan of Godfather, then there's a good chance that you hate Godfather 3. Are you with me? Because, let's face it, it wasn't a very good film at all. The first two are absolute masterpieces, but the third film, what the fuck? Like, seriously. So hopefully this revisionist cut from Francis Ford Coppola will cut out as much of Sofia Coppola's performance as humanly possible, because, let's face it, it was weak. Uh, uh, the other interesting thing is like Francis obviously is no stranger to uh, revisiting his films and reworking them with how he feels that the film should be obviously countless times of the apocalypse now and most recently with the Cotton Club so I'm really excited to see what he can actually do with a film that was um, not particularly good to begin with was there a good film in there at all it's hard to say but I'll be checking this one out in home entertainment this week and it's only coming out on blu-ray there are no other formats for this film locally. Then coming out on DVD only is Jesus Rolls, which is a spin-off film of The Big Lebowski. It's written, directed, and starring John Totoro, and it's a spin-off of John Totoro's character. Uh, again, I have not seen this one, but the reviews have not been kind. Being a big fan of both Big Lebowski and John Totoro, though, I will be checking it out, but I might just wait till it's available to stream on Netflix or Amazon, to be honest. Then another recent theatrical released film that's coming out on home entertainment is Unhinged. This is coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Of course, it's the Russell Crowe Rage, Road Rage thriller. I have not seen it. Um, I am keen to see it. 
Um, but yeah, it's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD, so there you go. There's a bit of a tongue twister back there. Then the films that are getting the 4K Ultra HD treatment, there is five of them coming out from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment this week. Let's kick it off with definitely the best, the best. Total Recall 30th Anniversary Edition. In addition to 4K, it's also coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. It's got a 4K restoration. It's got a bucket load of special features. I mean, it's a three-disc set, the 4K Ultra HD release. Uh, and yeah, I just can't wait to put this one in my collection. I'm a big fan of the film. I remember seeing it 30 years ago at the drive-in with my folks. I mean, the combo of Paul Verhoeven, Philip K. Dick, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is insane. So Total Recall, definitely at the top of my shopping list this week. Then also coming out in 4K Ultra HD, making their 4K Ultra HD debuts, are Eddie Murphy's Beverly Hills Cop and Coming to America. So these have got brand new 4K restorations. And again, I'll be adding these to my collection because I am a huge Eddie Murphy fan of that era and both of those films, absolute classics. Then also coming out in 4K Ultra HD that I won't be adding to my collection, but is coming out in 4K Ultra HD regardless, is Michael Mann's Collateral with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. And also The Incredible Hulk, the one with Ed Norton, not the one with Eric Banner. That was just Hulk. Anyway, that's it for me this week. Until next time. Stay physical. Dude, Bill and Ted 3, uh, Godfather Coda, Jesus Rolls, and a bunch of 4Ks. Amazing. Um, I'm excited about Beverly Hills Cop on 4K. Yeah, it makes me it makes me long to purchase that PlayStation 5 so I can get a, <laughs> a 4K player uh, and finally watch. Like I've, I've, got, I've got a couple of 4K, 4K films and no player to watch them on. But uh, I already had them on Blu-ray and DVD, so I thought, why stop there? Dude, are you ex- and VHS? Are you excited for Jesus Rolls? It's that um, spin-off from Big Lebowski. I I am. Like uh, I remember here, I heard about it a while ago. Like I'd completely forgotten about it, and I didn't know that it picked up any kind of Australian distribution. Yep. So that's uh, that's good news. But uh, yeah, I'm, I hope it, it's it's a prequel, right? Is that what it is? It's a prequel. I thought it was a sequel, but we'll find out soon. It's a sequel. Yeah. Huh. Is is Ron in it? <laughs> I have no idea. His partner, his partner Ron. I, all I know is that I'm going to be broke by the end of the week because they're all coming home with me. Yeah. Anyway, tidy work as always. Cheers to Jarrett for that treasure trove. All right, serial killer movies, Ben. There's there's all different kinds of ways this could go. Um, I want to quickly touch upon a few that maybe introduced me to the subject when I was young. And as some of our listeners know, I am I was raised fairly liberally on films and saw a lot of mature stuff at a really stupidly young age. And back in the day, sort of SBS was my um, my most valuable resource, I guess you would say, to find this kind of stuff. But I just used it. I just used it in the green guide to find out what movies were going to have nudity in them. <laughs> Thank you, The Age. Thank you. Providing information that TV Week never did. <laughs> I have a funny feeling this film has nudity, but it is also Shirley Stoller who is nude and that's not necessarily a good thing. But the film was The Honeymoon Killers, which also starred uh, Tony LeBanchia or something. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Tony Lo- Lobianco. Lobianco. I think his name there is Lobianco from The Seven Ups. And yes. So this was made in nine. 19- I think he's in Good. Is he in Good? He's in Goodfellas as well. Oh, he might be. I know he was. He, I don't know if he he's, became. He's in Kill the Irishman. I'm pretty he sure. He became a fairly established actor. And this movie was made yeah. in 1970, and it was a true story of uh, Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck. And it's almost like a, a less glamorous and grimy version of Bonnie and Clyde um, and apparently director um, Leonard Castle was revolting against the glossiness of Bonnie and Clyde when he made this film this was his sort of objection to that 
Um, and I guess it's a, a very, very early pre- precursor to Natural Born Killers as well. It definitely has that kind of vibe. Have you seen it? I love the film. I I hide it on video when I was about 13 or 14. And uh, I remember enjoying it, but I, I haven't seen it since. Yeah, it's been a while, I must admit, since I've seen it, but I love it. What I was always fascinated about was the fact that Martin Scorsese was originally the director, but he got fired. And it's just hilarious to think of Martin Scorsese being fired from a film. Yeah. Not good enough. <laughs> Not good enough, Marty. <laughs> and uh, another two that just sort of left an impression on me when I was a kid were Mum and Dad let me watch Frenzy with them, the Alfred Hitchcock film. And that's a brutal film. I have not seen Frenzy. Even to this day, it is an absolutely disturbing film. It is just, yeah, it's it's quite abhorrent when you watch it. And I think it's the fact that it's it's amusing. It's very humorous as well. So that one always left an impression. I still love it. And then there was the 1988 Dutch version of The Vanishing, which I think today, to this day, is still one of the, the best serial killer films out there. That's the original one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's the original Vanishing. Yeah. And the same... And then they what they remade it and Sandra Bullock is the... Uh... Yeah. Is the girlfriend and Jeff Bridges is the the, the guy trying to find? No, her. Jeff Bridges is the killer. Or is Jeff Bridges the killer? And Kiefer, right. Kiefer Sutherland is the boyfriend. Is that right? That should that's that's miscasting. It should have been the other way around. <laughs> well, the the director is the same director. He re- remade his own film and he completely subverted the endings. So he had two different endings to, depending right. on which version you watch. Both good films. I like the American. You hear that, Michael Haneke? Completely different endings, Michael Haneke. <laughs> you hear that, Michael Haneke? Completely different endings. <laughs> Oh shit! I've got more to talk about, but what about you, man? Like, where does this conversation start for you? Good question. I mean, look, it's it's a bit hard for me to differentiate serial killer films from slashes yeah. because a lot of the time they kind of are the same thing, but they, you know, they're not. They're not, but they are really. Yep. Um, I guess the first. I, mean, I don't know if it was the first film that ever really made it an impact, but I remember it being the first kind of one that I watched that um, really disturbed me just from the trailer. And that was uh, 1995's Copycat. Oh, yes. That's that scene where Harry Connick Jr. Lifts, licks the knife. Yep. It really freaked me out <laughs> when that came out. And I would have been, I probably would have been, you know, four, uh, 95, so 15, something like that. So way too old to be freaked out. That scene with the knife, I think just the second before he licks the knife, I think that made the trailer where he leers into the camera yeah that's that's a terrifying image it was it was it was terrifying and the funny thing is when you watch the film you realize that he's not the main <laughs> protagonist yeah like i mean he kind of is in a in a it's a very kind of hannibal lecter silence of the lambs kind of yeah uh kind of plot and um it does have a, a fantastic cast including uh my favorite uh who actually I think is the killer spoiler alert, but you, you know who it is. But William McNamara from chasers with Erica Eleniak. What a fantastic film that is. Uh, probably could have done with a serial killer in it at some point just to make it a bit more fun. But um, uh, it's, it's from the guy that directed the core too, John, John Amel, Emil. Jen, Emil. Yeah. He's, he was Emil. a fairly prominent um, producer as well. I think he did the man who knew too little. With Bill, oh with right, Bill Murray. classic. He because he and he directed. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago in the Sean Connery episode. But he also directed uh, Entrapment. Yes, and unless I'm uh, mistaken, with, uh, I think he produced the National Treasure series. But you might want to fact check me on that. Right, I don't. I'm happy to go with your word. I'll I'll, I'll <laughs> attest to that to my with my dying breath from now on. <laughs> I don't care what you say, IMDb. <laughs> Glenn said he produced the National Treasure films, and I believe him. <laughs> 
Dude, there's so many like to choose from that we could talk about. I'm going to save one in particular for my recommendation later, but I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on the house that Jack built. <laughs> I mean, look, I thought it was full on, but I actually watched, I, didn't, I haven't watched that movie properly. Yeah. Because we worked on the release, the theatrical release of it. And so I ended up just watching it in parts. Yeah, right. Like a bit here, a bit there during other things. Because we, we had sell-out sessions and stuff. And I, I was like, I couldn't really get in at Monster Fest. And then when it came, like, you know, just kind of, it, got, it had been kind of ruined by the time I actually could go and see it properly. Um, but it is it is incredibly full on. And that that I do love that scene in the, I mean, it's the scene that everyone talks about, but the scene in the uh, the shooting range. Yeah. With, oh, on the picnic. My favorite kids. scene. My favorite scene. Is uh is pretty magical. I um, I like I mean like most people, it's controversial. The 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 final act of the film is essentially a fantasy sequence, right? Up until that point, yeah. Up until that point, I'm thinking to myself, this is like everything I want in a serial killer film. You know, it doesn't mince words. It doesn't dance around the taboos. It does. He does what a serial killer would do. You know, and like you said, but the best thing about it is that no one pays any attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like. <laughs> He's virtually un, like unfettered by any kind of police in, intervention. There's no, you know, weary but uh, committed detective trying to track him down. Like no one cares. But that's what I love about it because he's so calm and casual about what he does, and he's calm. Yeah. He's comfortable doing it. And like you mentioned that that shooting range scene, which for people that haven't seen it, that's essentially him taking aim at children. On a on a fire yeah. on a on a shooting range like they were you know ducks or rabbits or whatever, it's incredibly amusing. But that right there kind of sums up how the film is for like the, the rest of the journey. Yeah, it's it's an incredibly black, yeah, uh, kind of comedy. Yeah, I just I found that that finale was unnecessarily. It, it's it's Lars von Trier just doing what he does and being a little bit too, you know, over. The yeah, top. it's not a Lars von Trier film unless he ruins it for you at the end. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Uh, and another one, another one, uh, which I think was almost like a rite of passage for any anyone of our generation, had to be California with David Duchovny and Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis. Yeah, I mean, look, to be honest, that's one that I saw also on video uh, around the kind of, because that was at the time mentioned in the same breath when anyone was talking about Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and Natural Born Killers, California was kind of one of those and it was michelle forbes from swimming with sharks yeah and I, I remember loving swimming with sharks and uh i remember though it's like everyone's sweaty in it <laughs> and but i don't like i honestly i haven't seen it since then i have not seen it since then and i remember almost nothing about it but i think it was that period of time because it was post was it post x-files and david Duchovny already yeah. made a yeah. name for himself on x-files it was like his first he was doing it's his first lead is his first lead because then he was in that other one where he plays the the doctor who saves the mob guy's life and then gets caught up in the um gets caught up in that i can't remember what the, something to do with god i think was in the title because he's pl playing god maybe maybe it was called playing god i have no idea i haven't seen that one um but he becomes like a, he gets he's i think he's i'm not sure if he's been um, struck off the medical register yeah, for right. something but because he saves this guy's life but he, then he gets having to come in and save you know people who he wouldn't would rather not be saving yeah kind of thing 
from from memory but he was doing a lot of those kind of movies none of them were as good as uh, his starring role in the red shoe diaries series <laughs> uh, by zelman king i can't believe you said that i was only reading up about the red shoe diaries last week because <laughs> trying to think of some interesting things we could talk about you know moving forward <laughs> yeah gotta have can't a, go wrong with the, with the red shoe diaries we have to have a zelman uh, king episode yeah and we could talk about uh, trip with teacher, where he's one of the he's one of the bicycle hooligans. Um, when he was back, and it, like it's such an odd thing with Zalman King because he's such a freaky looking dude in that. Like he looked like like if you're going to cast anyone to play uh, uh, Manson, Zalman King would have kind of been perfect for it. <laughs> and then you're like, but he's no, he, what he makes now is erotic thrillers, yes. like or just or, or erotic dramas. Well, he doesn't make anything now; he's dead. Well, he's dead, yeah. But you know, when he was when he was still kicking, and he's really dead. He is actually. He's, he's, we're not just saying that; he's legitimately dead now. This one. Um. Uh, anyway, uh, speaking of serial killers, here's Guillermo. <laughs> What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com. Let's talk a little bit about the news that we've covered in the past week. Kicking off with a controversial one, a film that will be looking at Martin Bryant, the man responsible for the murders of 35 people at Port Arthur, Tasmania in 1996. Australian streaming company Stan has announced a new original feature titled Nitram, that's the working title which is Martin Backwards. The film is currently in production and is being directed by Aussie filmmaker Justin Kurzel, who broke out with 2011 Snowtown, based on South Australian serial killer John Bunting, and who directed Michael Fassbender in Macbeth and Assassin's Creed. Last year, Kozol also delivered the Stan original True History of the Kelly Gang. Set to play the lead character in The Tramp is Caleb Landry Jones, an American actor known for playing intense, off-kilter roles in films like Get Out, Three Boards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and Antiviral. The cast also includes Judy Davis and Anthony LaPaglia on board as his mother and father, and Essie Davis. The film will reportedly not name Bryant and will be using fictional names for the other characters based on real figures. Furthermore, as Sydney Morning Herald reported, the film does not depict any of the murders but rather focuses on the events leading up to the day in a bid to understand the factors that led to the development of a serial killer. Production is currently taking place in Geelong, Victoria. Producers reportedly chose not to film in Tasmania due to the sensitive subject matter. And of course there has been a bit of an outcry, there's even a petition going to shut the film down. Aubrey Plaza has joined the cast of an upcoming Guy Ritchie film. Jason Statham will be leading this untitled thriller which was formerly known as Five Eyes. The plot has Jason Statham playing a Guns and Steel MI6 agent who is recruited by a global intelligence alliance to uncover and intercept a deadly new weapons technology that poses a threat to the world order. He reluctantly teams up with a CIA high-tech expert and embarks on a globetrotting mission to infiltrate a billionaire arms broker. Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham previously worked together in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, Snatch and Revolver. Before this film with Aubrey Plaza though, we'll see what Statham and Ritchie have in store with an action thriller named Wrath of Man. Sci-fi survival thriller titled Stowaway, with Anna Kendrick and Tony Collette among its cast, has been acquired by Netflix. The film was recently completed and Netflix swooped in with a multi-million dollar deal to have release rights in Australia, New Zealand, the US, UK, India, Latin America, Africa and other markets in Europe and Asia. Stowaway will be following the crew aboard a mission to Mars. After an unintended stowaway, played by Shamir Anderson from Winona Earp, accidentally causes major damage to the craft's life support systems, a medical researcher, Kendrick, is soon the only dissenting voice against the clinical logic of her commander, Colette, 
and the ship's biologist, Daniel Day Kim, a Y50. The film was directed and co-written by Joe Penner, making his sophomore feature following his Mads Mikkelsen starring debut, 2018 survival drama Arctic. Stowaway will be streaming on Netflix sometime in 2021. Universal Pictures has a new Van Helsing movie in development with an Aussie director and producer on board. Set to direct and write a new horror thriller set in the Van Helsing world is filmmaker Julius Avery, who made his debut with Ewan McGregor starring crime flick Son of a Gun and who followed it up with the action horror film Overlord. James Wan will be producing the film and this has the potential to be a much more adult aimed endeavour than that ill-received attempt at a Hugh Jackman led Van Helsing back in 2004. Game of Thrones star Peter Dinklage had signed on to star in a reboot of 1984 superhero black comedy splatter film The Toxic Avenger. The original proudly B-grade schlock told of a struggling everyman who is transformed into a mutant freak after being pushed into toxic waste. Now with more power, he becomes an underdog hero, saving his son, friends and an overall community from malevolent forces. Dinklage will be playing Toxie in the new Toxic Avenger, which has been set up at Legendary Entertainment, said to both write and direct is Macon Blair, a filmmaker slash actor who directed 2017 Netflix film I Don't Feel At Home In This World Anymore, and who starred in slash executive produced Jeremy Solnier's fantastic 2013 film Blue Ruin. Babylon, the next film from La La Land, First Man and Whiplash filmmaker Damien Chazelle is having a star change up. Emma Stone was attached to star along Brad Pitt in the picture but she has been forced to exit the film due to scheduling issues. Paramount Pictures and Chazelle aren't wasting any time. Aussie star Margot Robbie has now entered talks to replace Stone in the role. If she signs on, Robbie will be reuniting with Pitt following 2019's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Babylon is set around the transition that occurred in Hollywood when the film industry went from silent films to talkies. Margot Robbie's potential role will be that of Clara Bow, an early sex symbol and box office star who was Hollywood's first IT girl. Brad Pitt is reportedly playing a fictional character, a silent film star who fails to make the transition to the new technology. Apparently, he's based on a real-life figure, John Gilbert. That about does it for me, guys. As always, be sure to jump on ScreenRealm.com for your latest movie, TV news, trailers, all that jazz. Thanks so much for having me. I'm out of here.
Guillermo, such a nice boy. I mean, who would have thought? <laughs> I know, right? You know, he's just such a such a lovely, quiet boy. Always polite, <laughs> always quiet. Keeps to himself. Well, that's the profile. Hmm. <laughs> Bodies in the floor. Bodies in the floor. Anyway, uh, yes, thank you to Guillermo from Screen Realm, and also an electro flashback there for you from the Kiss the Girl soundtrack. That was Atom Bomb by Fluke. Kiss the Girls, that, that's one I saw theatrically, Ben, and I recall that being the first time that I ever felt like a book snob because I was so disappointed that the movie left out so much of the book. Like, it's really, you know, a pale reflection of what the book was. And the book wasn't that great either. either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, to be honest, I saw I saw Along Came a Spider first. Oh, which, which is a prequel. And, um, and what was the other one? The other one with Ashley Judd where Jim Caviezel is the, she's married to Jim Caviezel and uh, high, is it high crimes? High crimes. Yes. There was double she's, jeopardy. He's the, in, he's in the military and Morgan Freeman's the lawyer. Yes. And it's like seemingly they marketed it as if almost it was set in the same, in the same world. Yeah. Um, as, as kiss the girls and along came a spider. It was a weird series that never really took off because then they did the third film, Alex Cross with Tyler Perry. And I actually think that was half decent, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of never, you know, um, cause isn't that, that, that series, is it, is it, that's the James Patterson series? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. No, I tried to watch that. Uh, I think I did watch the, the, the third one, but I didn't, I didn't really get into it. It's like James Patterson is the biggest hack of them all. Like, have you read up on this guy these days? No, no, not at all. I think he's in, isn't he in Castle in the first episode of Castle with, oh. with uh, all the other mystery, you know, thriller writers playing poker with uh, these days. He doesn't, uh, Nathan Fillion. he doesn't even write his own books. He just says James Patterson presents and there's another author's name at the bottom or his books are ghost authored. Well, that's, that's brilliant. That's what I call brilliant. That's <laughs> passive income at work. <laughs> he writes up, just, he writes up synopsises, gives them to his authors and they write the novel. And they write the novels. Good for him. That's He's right. taken the. He doesn't have to do any of the boring stuff. <laughs> but for me, the film that disappointed most after reading the book is Silence of the Lambs. Like Silence of the Lambs, the book is brilliant. And from I watched the movie, read the book, and then watched the movie again, and I was so disappointed by the movie the second time. Like in the book, Clarice Starling figures out who Buffalo Bill is. Yep. Like she does the work, and figures it out. In the movie, it's just. Uh, hello, uh, I'm uh, with the FBI. We're just looking uh, for serial killers. Are you one? <laughs> Why, yes, I am. Why don't you come in and jump in my deep, dark <laughs> hole? Like, it's so <laughs> ridiculous how they how they finish it. 
Well, there there is that moment though does have a little bit of I guess reflective montage where you can see her piecing things together. Like you got to give it that because it, it would look. Just, it was a bit weak. Silence of the Lands. I've read the book. I love it, but the film would come in at number one on my top five list of serial killer films. Right. Yeah. No, it doesn't for me. It's not on my list. All right. Well, let's talk about top five lists of serial killer movies. Um, so if you were to ask me what my top five serial killer movies are, firstly, fuck you, because that's really hard. Like coming up with that is really hard. <laughs> it was your idea, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> but here's, here's five that I would settle on. Um, no particular order. Silence of the Lambs, definitely. It would be number one. So there's order to that, but... Definitely uh, Zodiac, the David Fincher film, which I think is David Fincher's best film. Uh, it's, it's damn near perfect. Night of the Hunter with Robert Mitchum. Like, that still scares me to think about. Like, it's such a, a viscerally terrifying movie. Natural Born Killers that have to be in there just because I think that's an incredible film about serial killers. And Badlands. I haven't seen Badlands since my days in film school, but I just remember that having a huge impact on me and that, that would probably be my top five. See, my list is made up of not necessarily top five, but uh, five that I've either seen the most recently <laughs> or just have a memory of 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 being great. Typical, and this is definitely... Typical Ben. Typical Ben. Like, what five are sitting on my desk right now? Yeah. They're my fa- those are my five favorite. What have I just watched? <laughs> like it's not uh, it's not that bad. Like if you if you follow me on Letterboxd, you'll see that I haven't I've only watched I think two of these films in the last in the last uh, couple of Hang weeks. Hang on, back it up. You're on Letterboxd. I am on Letterboxd. Ah, I'm not. That's uh, why. That's why I don't know. That's why you don't know. I'm on Letterboxd. I only use it to track what I watch because my memory I have a memory like a sieve, and I forget the day after. I'm like, what did I watch this week? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like I get into, I come into work on Monday and Jared be like, yeah, I watch this on the weekend and I watch this and I watch this. And I'd be like, uh, I think a, a couple of episodes of the West Wing. I'm, I'm with you. I can't remember. It makes you wonder why we even do a show. <laughs> yeah. Like I just <laughs> can't remember anything, but, <laughs> but this is, this is, this is just a random list of films that I enjoyed. I couldn't, I, it'd be very, I just have trouble even remembering all of the serial killer films that I've seen. So, like, you know, Bone Collector is not on that list. I'll tell you that right now. Bone <laughs> Collector is not on the list because the, the killer is stupid. Um, but uh, Blue Steel, yeah, Catherine Bigelow's Blue Steel from 1990. Yeah, right. In there with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and, and an amazingly insane Ron Silver. That feels like a Ben, <laughs> ben movie. It is telling, you, and you know what's shocking is there's no. I don't even think there's boobs in it. Oh. So it has to be pretty good if I like it, and it, it didn't even have boobs. <laughs> but it's, it's, but it's like at the bottom of the top five. Well, it's in the. I don't know. It's in the top five. It's in there. It's in the. It's in the five. I don't even want to use the word top. <laughs> I've just picked out five random films. I copycat was on there, but I've, I've scrapped that uh, because I talked about it earlier in favor of uh, the Bill Paxton directed. Frailty, yeah, great film. Uh, which is a kind of a different, a different kind of serial killer movie because he's basically it's Bill Paxton who kind of raises his two sons to believe that he hears the voice of God telling him to kill these demons. Yep, and he he so he basically hacks people with Otis the axe. Yep, 
Um, and then he's kind of kids grow up and one, I think one becomes a cop and the other one kind of continues the family tradition. Yep. Uh, and there's a fan, there's a phenomenal twist to it. It's a great film. Uh, it's it's a it's a really it's a really uh, yeah. Do you know I would film. I would love to do that in a double feature with Night of the Hunter. I think those two would bounce off each other. Go well together, brilliantly, yeah. and even to a lesser extent, um, Mark Savage, his one Purgatory Road was a very similar kind of story. Obviously, much more low budget, but you know that one I, I, I kind of liked a lot. Yeah, like, I wonder if just yeah. Mark, I wonder if like Marauders would kind of fit as a serial killer movie. I think it kind of would. That's a good film. I don't, yeah, I don't care what people say. That's a fun movie. No, it's it's an excellent film. Like it's incredibly difficult to watch, uh, because of the there's there's a couple of you know, uh, very non PC now non PC. I mean, it would have been non PC then too. Yeah, but, yeah. But some of the kind of attitudes towards women in the film are incredibly full on. But that aside. And it's yeah, it's it is a it is a stunning debut. Yeah, I I really say. liked his film Sensitive New Age Killer as well. I thought that was great. Yeah, I, yeah, actually, I thoroughly enjoyed that yeah, movie. That's another one. Um, uh, it's another one. I, but he's a hitman. I don't know if he's a. I oh, know, but he's a hitman chasing a serial killer, right? Yeah, that guy from Neighbors. <laughs> the guy from you know, I remember is the guy from Neighbors. Back to your five. Um, but okay, okay so. Also on my list, Deranged from 1974. That was probably the first serial killer movie I saw. And I like it was on late night TV and I kind of snuck up to watch it. And the scene that really stuck with me is because it's basically the Ed Gain story yep. where this guy who's kind of dominated by his mother, his mother dies, but he gets lonely and misses her. So he digs her up yep. and props her up in bed and she's all green and gross. But even when she dies, like she's puking stuff out and he doesn't know what to do. So he's shoveling the blood and puke and mucus and stuff back down her throat. Yep. Cause it should be inside, not outside. And you know, then he, he goes around robbing graves to find replacement parts for her that have rotted off. And, but then he decides he needs fresher, fresher meat <laughs> to keep mum alive. Um, yeah, special effects by um, Tom Savini, one of the, his early films, and um, Roberts Blossom is the star. If you was it Blossom Roberts, or was it Roberts it's Blossom? Robert, Robert, Roberts Roberts Blossom. That's right. It's got an S on the end of Robert. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. He's also, the, but he, but then when you watch things like Doc Hollywood or Home Alone, and he's like the next door neighbor. I know. Like, Holy shit! Mind it's you, game. in Home Alone, they kind of play on that though, like you know. Yeah, like he's totally. Yeah. yeah. But um, <laughs> if you were to ask me, just in a casual conversation, what's one of the scariest things you've ever seen on screen? It would be that scene of him coming out of the house wearing her face. Yeah. That is a terrifying moment. Like even now, I watch it and I get chills. Yeah. It's, good it's legitimately. It's a legitimately great film. Yeah, um, I agree. And a terrifying scene. Uh, I would have, uh, speaking of Fincher, although in only in a roundabout way, uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, yeah. but the the actual Swedish one, or the <laughs> yeah, not the not the David Fincher remake, which I I don't particularly rate. Although the sex scene seemed to be kind of better in that one. That was weird, but uh, <laughs> not. And I mean the sex scenes, not the horrific rape scenes. <laughs> Please don't misconstrue that. The, the horrific rape scenes are horrific in both of them. Are totally horrific. You're talking about the Daniel Craig uh, ones. The Daniel, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the the Nomi Rapace ones. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, I saw that theatrically, and I, I remember I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, after watching it, I went out and read the three books 
and screamed at the TV during the second and third films because they were so bad <laughs> in I, comparison. In comparison. I still I rate them, though, but, yeah, I get it. Uh, wasn't there a fourth book written by someone else after he passed away? Yeah, based on his notes, um, which is a, which is like a weird one that I don't know how they could ever turn into a movie. Yeah, which is actually pretty good. And then they re, then they re, they did another one. Okay, which is a there's the there's the girl in the spider's web. Yep, which I can't remember if that's the book or the movie. That's the movie. That's the movie. But then yeah, the book is different. The the this yeah got it. Oh no, actually no, I think it actually is a uh, it is a it is a. <laughs> adaptation of that book but they've changed it yeah. so much yeah. that it's virtually unrecognizable it's one of those things where they've taken the title and just gone their own direction yeah because they they almost act as if the other three films don't exist whereas in the book it's very much a continuation yep in the in a continuation of that storyline yeah cool yeah well that's a good um, one is, is that is that five uh what i have i had blue steel girl the dragon tattoo deranged that's three there's one more wasn't there yeah, frail, uh, frailty. Frailty. So I've got one more to choose on my list. Uh, look, just I've got. Uh, look, it's it's a t- it's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough one. See what I mean? Fuck um, you. But uh, I guess look, I'm going to have to go with American Psycho. Yeah. Like it's just such a it's just such a kind of cool fun. Uh, film from the perspective of a serial killer. See, and now we're talking once again about a movie that completely changed things from the book. Yeah, I, but it would be impossible not to. Well, <laughs> I, <laughs> well I mean, look at uh, the House of Jack built this. You could do it. Like, if you give Lars the script. Yeah, you know? I suppose you could. But I mean, look, to be honest, I was never allowed to read the book. It always came sealed. <laughs> the, it was always sealed in the bookshop. So, And that's the only place you ever read a book. You never, you never bought one. You just read them and put them back. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's it. That was that's the entirety of my celebrity sleuth <laughs> uh, magazine reading at the old uh, Chatston news agency. Mate, next year we need to give you a segment, celebrity sleuthing. Celebrity sleuthing. <laughs> <laughs> this week on celebrity sleuth. <laughs> anyway, hey, how about we let's see what the boneheads come up with when we task them to talk about serial killer movies. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. This week's edition is Serial Killers. <laughs> now we get asked, we've been asked a couple of times to talk about our favorite serial killers on Bonehead Weekly. And we don't do that because, well, we've talked about it on Bonehead Weekly before. But we are more than happy to talk about our favorite serial killer films or films that have serial killers in them. I want to start first, and it's the only serial killer that actually, quote unquote, exists. Well, there's technically two that I find fascinating. But the one that I find the most fascinating is probably the one that most people know. And that is Jack the Ripper. He's been novelized in The Lodger and a bunch of other classics, but Alan Moore, uh, V for Vendetta, Watchmen, wrote a graphic novel from Hell, which got adapted to a movie, which, of course, Alan Moore removed his name from, I think. Uh, That being said, From Hell tells the story of Jack the Ripper. It stars Johnny Depp, Heather Graham, um, Ian Holm. (laughs) (laughs) My headphones fell off. Ian Holm. Ian Richardson, Jason Fleming, it's, it's got a great cast. And it's all about, you know, them trying to Jack find... Jack the Ripper? Jack the Ripper. No so, shit. Thank you, Joe. Uh, <laughs> anyway, if you've never seen From Hell, you probably should check it out. His it, headphones it, got ripped off his face. <laughs> it was by a ghost, too. 
Probably the ghost of Jack the Ripper. I doubt it. He would have probably ripped off more. No, I'm not. A, I'm not an attractive prostitute, sir. You're not an unattractive prostitute. <laughs> oh, you. You're the worst kind. You middle of the road whore. <laughs> <laughs> Are That's you not done? What your mother said last night. She said I was the worst whore. Oh, whore ever. That's what uh, I got from him. All right, all right. So I was going back and forth. I really wanted to talk about a classic, but I'm not going to. I am going to talk about William Freakin's Cruising. And a lot of people haven't seen this. It was ripped apart when it came about when it came out in uh, 1980. Uh, Freakin was still reeling from the absolute disappointment of the classic film Sorcerer. And he decided to take on a book called Cruising. Uh, written by Gerald Walker that's loosely based on some real crimes, some real murders that happened around around New York City. It's about a detective chasing down a serial killer that's um, hunting, that is hunting gay men in some of these clubs that were all owned, by the way, by the mafia. You got to look this up. Cruising is not a movie that I will tell you to take uh, take a date to or go out on a date with is what I should say. On a Saturday night, you're going to feel a little grimy after watching it, but it is a good film. It's dark and it is gritty. So one of the things Chad and I complained about at the Joker was that the Joker movie wasn't gritty enough to be a 70s film. Right, Chad? Mm-hmm. You and I both yeah. agree on that. Yeah. Well, Cruising kicks its ass when it comes to being gritty. I dare you to watch this movie starring Al Pacino, Paul Serino, Karen Allen, and not feel slimy at the end of it. And it has a hell of an ending that's not going to answer all your questions, okay? So I'm going to go along with the New York theme that Joe brought up, and I'm going to go with the 1989 classic... The January Man. <laughs> With Kevin Klein. <laughs> With Kevin Klein. Uh, any, listen to this cast. Kevin well, can Klein. Can we do that as a double bill? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we got to get January Man to play second because cruising is, I, I swear to God, it will make you feel slimy. Keep going. And, and the January Man will not do will this. Will not have that no. effect on you. So you have Kevin Klein. His partner in crime is Alan Rickman. Uh, his brother is played by Harvey Keitel. He, Susan Sarandon, Mary Elizabeth Mastertonio. Master I'm going to screw that. I'm butchering that name. Danny freaking ILO and an over the top performance by Rod Steiger. You, you got to see this movie. And it has one of the funniest chase scenes ever in movie history. Yeah, man, it's been a while since I saw January Man. Wouldn't that 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 movie was ravaged by critics, right? When it yeah, came and, out? And, yeah, and honestly, it had every it should have been. It's it's very uneven. There's it's all over the place. On is it a comedy? Is I haven't it seen movie? it since I was a kid. Oh, it's 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 a mess. But any movie with Kevin Klein is is salvageable. Just he's that entertaining. And then the the serial killer turn on it is. It goes crazy with the serial killer turn. So you have, if you haven't seen the January man, please check it out. It is worth the watch at least once. This has been bonehead weekly fun size. Stay tuned for more serial killing. You and Tony the tiger. I knew he was going to go for the cheap joke. I was going to go actually lucky charms because he's everybody's always after him. Peter, uh, cheers for making time. I hope you're well. Uh, thanks for having me. No, it's my pleasure, mate. Um, let's talk about The Vanished. This movie really packs quite a punch. Where did this story come from? Well, I um, I was on a road trip once with my kids. And uh, <laughs> funny enough, I, I went to this little RV park. I, I was on a, I rented an RV. I drove 30 days on a motorhome uh, from New York to L.A the greatest trip ever 
and I, I pulled into this little RV uh, park and I was paying and, and I heard some gunshots <laughs> and I was like, what is that? And uh, they said, oh, don't worry. There's a prison down the road. <laughs> it, uh, it's normal to have one or two gunshots. They have like drills. Anything more than that, they'll come running to the front desk. So I started thinking, well, geez, I, you know, what if somebody escapes from prison and what if my daughter went missing, you know, and, and all these questions popped in my head. And then uh, the seeds for this movie were, were born that day. Wow. And it's your sophomore film as a director and quite yeah. a departure from your first film. Yeah. Um, what inspired the stark contrast between films? Well, the first one I didn't write, uh, Jordan Henson wrote that it was a romantic dramedy and, uh, and it was a great, great little movie for me to cut my teeth on. And, and I really enjoyed working with the actors on that. And then, and then because that one was successful, I, I got the funding for this script, which I wrote. Uh, so, you know, it's just two different writers, but you know, for me, it's less about genre because in my career i've done all different types of genre i've done action drama i've done uh comedy romantic comedies so i always find that the genre is kind of the backdrop to uh to to the story um you know you could take a science fiction movie and or it could be a western and they have you know similar kind of uh and tell the same story it's just different backdrops you know um so you know, with with this, I, I, I for me as a director, I like moving on to different things. So I did romantic dramedy with that first one. And this one's kind of a psychological thriller. I was always intrigued by like Hitchcock and uh, and Hitchcock's movies. Uh, and then my next film that I wrote that I want to direct next year is uh, is more of like an epic kind of Scarface movie. So it's completely different than than these two. Um, so, yeah, I think. Uh, I think for me, like my acting career, I'd like to be able to jump around and do different types of stuff. Yeah, right. Well, I think the the storytelling in this is really good, um, if I might say so. I was thoroughly Thanks. absorbed all the way through it. Can you talk about writing a film and sort of what sort of discipline was required when sort of writing a mystery thriller as opposed to, say, a, a dramedy or anything else? Mm, I think for me, the process is the same. You know, I always have kind of a beginning, middle and end. And then... Uh, and then I, I ruminate on it a lot. Like I wrote, I wrote this script, The Vanished, in three weeks, which sounds very fast, but I lived with it in my head for like years before I sat down to write it. So um, I'll, I'll have an idea and then I'll, I'll daydream about that idea and then I'll think about it and then I'll flush it out more. And then it becomes so obsessive that I'm thinking about it all the time that it has to finally pour out of me. And then when it does pour out of me, then it's usually a lot quicker because it's just coming and then it starts taking me on turn and different twists and turns. And you're just like, Oh, it's going there, you know? Um, and you kind of ride that wave. That's how I do it. So it doesn't really matter to me, uh, the genre or, or the, the type of movie, the process is still the same for me. That's fascinating. And you've also like, you've, you've starred in many films over your career, some of which were absolute blockbusters. Were there any filmmakers that you've worked with in the past that sort of helped sort of just guide you as a director, just, you know, in reflection? You know, I think all of them, honestly, I, you pick up a little bit from everybody. Um, there's directors that I definitely connected with and I like that I, that I, that I, I try to, I try to use their, you know, what, what I learned from them. Like, 
you know, one director I worked with, he doesn't, he doesn't always give you the answers. He poses more questions, you know, which is kind of nice because uh, it makes the actor think more. Uh, and then sometimes it, it depends though, because it depends on the actor too. And then sometimes with certain actors, it's almost like I, I equate directing to being like a therapist because you have all these actors that are working differently. You kind of got to figure out like how they work and the best language to, to speak to them with, you know? So like with Anne Hage, she was very like emotional. So like I could just literally go up to Anne, hold her hands and, and do this and just grab her hands tightly. And, and she'd be like, I got it. And I wouldn't even have to say a word. And, um, and she would know what I was thinking. And then Tom is more rational where you, you know, you kind of talk out the scenes with him. Uh, similar with Jason Patrick, you, you, you know, I talked out the scenes with him. Um, and then some actors, you know, like there was a day where I had an actor who was who, who had to come out and he was like looking for something, but it felt very stiff. And I could tell that he wasn't really looking for something, you know, it was <laughs> yeah. uh, it was the scene where where uh, John Hickman comes out of the back room. He's supposed to be like really frantic because he just knocks somebody out and um and he's looking for like, you know, I said, okay, so John, you're, you, you know, you just knocked this person out and you're, you know, you're looking for like, how do I get rid of this body? So your, your, your thought process is all over the place and you're, you, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll burn the tapes and I'll tie her up and, I, and you're looking for like rope and you're looking for like a garbage bag. And he came out and it was, um, he was going like right to the garbage bag and then right to the <laughs> matches and it just looked like very staged. So by the second or third take, I, was, I had to try something different with him. So I said, okay, this is what we're going to do, John. I'm going to hide the stuff and then you come out and find it. And you got like 30 seconds to find the garbage bag, the matches, the tape. Okay. And you don't know where it is. Cause I'm going to, I put it in different places. And, awesome. and you, you, so I gave him like a time crunch <laughs> and it was like almost like an, an exercise, like a game. And he came out and it was, and the whole crew's going hot, cold, colder, <laughs> hotter. And he's like trying to find the stuff and it worked, you know? So like you, whatever, whatever you need as a director is what you kind of, you know, try to try to come up with to, to help the actor in that scene. You know, that's, that's fantastic. I'm going to watch it again with that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> and what about yourself? Like, you know, you're, you're acting in a film you've directed. How difficult are those scenes where you're required to be in front and behind the camera at the same time? You know, a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. Uh, the first one I didn't act in my first film that I directed and I was kind of jealous because I thought, oh, wow, everybody looks like they're having so much fun on the other side of the camera. So I said, the next one I'm going to put myself in. Uh, but I, I knew that I didn't want to play the lead and in, in direct because it was just too much to do. Uh, so I was, and I also love collaborating. So I was really uh, blessed that I had uh, Thomas Jane to, to work with. And uh, but but I, I gave myself a smaller role in it, you know, to have fun and, and be able to play as well. But on those days, I had to come to work like you know, in costume. And I didn't want to have to go through hair and makeup because I didn't have time. So I just kind of wore a baseball hat. I was like, just put on powder last minute and we'll just go. And, and, uh, and as I'm acting the whole time, I'm thinking, okay, am I in frame? Uh, you know, I'm watching the other performer. So there's like 10,000 things going on in your mind. And then you're running back to the monitor and I had someone tape it just to make sure that I was in frame. And, and I feel like, I just wanted to rush through my stuff to get to the other actors. So it was, uh, I, I give a lot of credit to people who could, who could direct themselves in the leads 
because that's it's so much multitasking work you know in your your brain because you're sitting there thinking of your shot your lines you're looking at the other actor making sure that their stuff is good and then you're like oh but i gotta make sure my stuff is good too and i gotta make sure i'm in frame it's a lot but uh but maybe i'll grow to be able to do it do that like a clint eastwood where you just kind of you know direct and and uh star in your stuff one day uh, well, the, like you said, the cast and particularly Anne Heche are just completely captivating. I'm assuming you didn't, but did you write with this ensemble in mind or were they just more of a fact of fortuitous casting? No, just fortuitous casting. I um, Originally, when I wrote it, I thought I would play the the, the dad and, and maybe, you know, not direct it. Uh, and then and then I, I had the opportunity to direct it. So then I thought, OK, great. Uh, and then we looked for an actor to play the dad and, and, uh, and Thomas Jane liked the script and Thomas Jane came on board first. And then, uh, and then Anne Heche, I, we got it to her and she loved it. And I had known that Tom and Anne had worked together before, uh, but I didn't know, I, you know, I didn't, I had never seen the show, but I knew that they had worked together before. And I, and I liked that they had worked together before because, you know, it's very hard to create a, a relationship where you're like okay you guys have been married you know for years and and you guys just met today in in real life and go you know uh so when they i knew they had a chemistry from working before and the familiarity with each other so i thought that would help with with being able to this believability of of um you know this married couple and also when you have that chemistry you can't you can't fake that like when you're when you're able to like play off of each other and they played off each other really well and then, and then Jason Patrick came on board uh, last and, and I was really blessed to get him because, you know, he, he wore a fat pad in the suit and he looked so heavy. People are like, wow, Jason Patrick really let himself go. I was like, no, he had a total fat pad on and, and everything he did was like just genius acting. I mean, he was just uh, blew me away every day. Yeah, his performance was different to the type of performance I've seen him do before. Yeah, it was uh, really quiet and subtle and like very introspective, which on paper... Like I always knew that that's how I wanted it, but on paper, it, you know, it kind of reads one dimensional because you can't really write the sorrow and the the um, you know the the sadness in that character's eyes. It's just you can write it, but you can't you can't flush it out. So when you have an actor come and just take it off the page and lift it like that, I mean, there was just some really beautiful moments. There's a scene where Jason Patrick's walking up the stairs drunk, and it's just on his feet. And it's like the best feet acting you you know you'll ever see <laughs> on film is just that heavy walk up the stairs when someone's kind of drunk, and you're like, yep. that's why this guy is so good because just just being on his feet tells us tells the story, you know. Absolutely, um, he just drags himself up those stairs. But um, given how effective the the vanish was for me, I'm particularly keen to see you explore this genre some more. I know you alluded to sort of more of a sort of a gangstery kind of film that you might be doing next, but um, yeah, just yeah. as a compliment to you you're you know you've mastered this genre oh uh, thanks time. man well i love twists i really love twists and turns in movies so i think no matter what film it is it'll have somewhat of a twist even the uh even even breaking and exiting my first film had a little twist at the end and i didn't even write that one uh <laughs> but it had a little little twist between the two characters at the end and so uh this movie I wrote called Lucy's years ago. I, I didn't direct it, but I wrote it and I starred in it. That one also has a little twist in it. Uh, so if you like twists, watch that one, Lucy's. I think you'd like that. I play a pickpocket in New York who um, 
who gets a girl pregnant and then all of a sudden has to like he has to take responsibility for stuff in life because he's just kind of living this carefree kind of life you know um but that was a fun movie and and the, this one that i'm doing next um even though it's a gangster film it also has a little twist in it Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll definitely be on board for that. Uh, we, we are just about out of time here, but before I go, if I can just um, indulge myself on a personal note here, uh, I want to ask, what do you get recognized for on the street more, um, Twilight or Can't Hardly Wait? Oh, man. Um, you know, it's different, and, and I could never really figure out. Like, fans will come up to me and say, hey, I love your work, and I'll say, oh, what, what, have, what have you seen of mine? And and I'm always thinking one thing, and it's usually something else. Like, I'll think it's Twilight, and it's Nurse Jackie, and or I think it's Nurse Jackie, and it's Can't Hardly Wait. And I'm usually wrong. I remember <laughs> this one burly guy came up to me once, and he was like, hey, man, I love your work. And I said, uh, thanks. And I thought for sure it must be, like, some kind of macho show, like, a show I did called Fast Lane with Bill Bellamy. It was like fast cars and like, <laughs> and like yeah, I love Nurse Jackie. And I was like, <laughs> I never would have thought he'd be like, can't go out tonight, guys. I'm watching Nurse Jackie. You know. Oh so. man. Well, as far like personally speaking, I think your Trip McNeely line will go down in history as my favorite uh, comedy moment. I just love that. That uh, patio swing man. in the backyard, hilarious. Well, Mike Dexter will, uh, could still kick everyone's ass in the room. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Peter, thank you so much for hanging out thank and uh, chatting about the Vanished. It's been um, it's been one I will be recommending to an audience for sure. Awesome. Thank you, man. I'm glad you liked it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Big thanks to uh, Craig from Eagle Entertainment for helping arrange that interview. The Vanished is available on DVD now from eagleentertainment.com.au um, or wherever you buy your DVDs from. It's well worth a look. Really enjoyed that one. So anyway, I have to throw a few notable mentions out there because, as I said, there's no way we can stop and talk about all of them. Some of them we've already mentioned, but American Psycho, of course. Summer of Sam, the Spike Lee film. I think that's a really good one. Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Excellent film, and I highly rate the second one, as I've mentioned on the show before. To Catch a Killer with Brian Dennehy, fantastic. Monster, Snowtown, Devil's Rejects, just to name some of my favourites. Most of those are based on real killers. What about that other... um? Mentioned thinking of, of to catch a killer. What about that other? Was it called? Was it called Gain Ed Gain or what, the one with the the one with the 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 he's the kind of the villain in in the Pee Wee Herman movie. Who, oh, who, Mark the, Mark Holton, and he was in Gacy. Gacy, yeah, that's yeah. right. Gacy, not Gain. Gacy. That's not a bad one. Uh, that was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, maybe mistaken, may have been directed by Matthew Bright, the guy that was in Forbidden Zone that wrote that with Richard Elfman. Oh, right. Because he did a handful of serial killer movies, including Freeway with Kiefer Sutherland. It was a made-for-TV movie, wasn't it, yeah, Casey? Yeah, I think so. I have a feeling it was. And then you had the uh, one with, um, what's his name? Oh, I've lost. Jeremy Renner um, did the Dharma one. Right. Which is quite good. Uh, not Dharma? Uh, the called Dharma? Yeah, that's what I just said. Yeah, but, no, but a, you said the Dharma one, but isn't there? There was one that was. There's my friend Dharma. There's one that was just called Dharma. It was Dharma. It was Dharma. <laughs> Dharma and Dharma. <laughs> I was also a massive fan of the Michael Caine, Jane Seymour, Jack the Ripper miniseries back in the eighties. I think that deserves a bit of a mention. What about? Have you seen Jack's Back? No. With uh, Cynthia Gibb and James Spader, and it's like a, a 
reincarnation of Jack the Ripper. Yeah, I think I've it's seen... Like, it's a twin twin exploitation movie because uh, James Spader plays dual parts. I think I have seen the poster art for that or, or something, yes. Because there was I also... Kino Lorber, I think Kino Lorber just put out the Blu-ray, I believe. Because I think in a similar kind of twist, there was uh, the Anthony Hickox film Jill, Jill Rips with... Um... Jill Rips, Dolph Lundgren? Dolph Lundgren, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I love that one, but I do. Classic. So one of the more um, brutal serial killer films I've seen in recent years was one called Tony, London Serial Killer. Have you seen that? It is absolutely I, so full on. I, I have never seen it. I've got it on DVD. I picked it up at the time Yep. with, all, with the full intention of, of watching it. But now God only knows where it is packed away behind all the VHS tapes and uh, stuff. If I'm not mistaken, I think Australia really let us down again by changing the title to Tony Portrait of a Serial Killer. <laughs> like, really original. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you wouldn't, because otherwise you just thought it was about a guy who ran a pizza place. That's right. <laughs> this is a fantastic film. It's a really good character study, kind of chronicles just his crimes and in incredibly realistic detail and incredible performance from, I think, Peter Fernandito or something. His name is Peter something. We'll call him Peter something. I'll, I'll let you go with that one. It was directed by uh, Gerard Johnson, who made Hyena, which I think was another pretty good film. Hyena. I think that was an Eagle release a couple of years ago. Anyway. Isn't Gerard Johnstone the guy who did Housebound? I think they're both called Gerard Johnston. Right. <laughs> I, think, I think one is Johnson and one is Johnston. Johnston, yes. right. Anyway, definitely worth its R rating. If you haven't seen London, um, if you haven't seen Tony London Serial Killer, get on it. Um, is there another one there that you want to draw attention to? Oh, look, I, I I will just mention quickly, it's not the one I'm going to talk about, but Hot Fuzz, I think, counts as a serial killer movie, <laughs> even though it's the whole town and is a, a classic of the, is a classic cop film and serial killer film. Mate. And town exploitation film, exploitation. Uh, but I, this one's controversial. I really like it. I know a lot of people absolutely hate it, hate it to the, to their very core. And it is, uh, 2003's High Tension or Hort Tension. I like that one. Uh, by Alexandra Arger. Yep. Directed by Alexandra Arger, starring Cecile de France. And I think people just ha- think the twist is ridiculous. Yeah. And that may be, that's fine. Like it, it kind of is. But I also think that it's incredibly fun. Like it is a, it's one that you don't really see coming. And it is incredibly violent yep. and gory and just all round kind of awesome. Like I really, like I, the first time I saw it, funnily enough, I programmed it for Friday Fright Night. Mm. Night, 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 cinema. night, 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 night. And uh, the guy who put the DCP together for us didn't uh, realize that it was a French film. So didn't include the subtitles. <laughs> so we're all sitting there just watching it in French. Luckily there's not that much dialogue, but there's a lot of killing. Yeah. It didn't really need it. It was just, it, but it was gold. That is a great film. I think, I think really Alexandra Ajo is just one of the great modern horror filmmakers of, of them all. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. I really like his stuff. Yeah. Same. I think, um, probably have to mention seven. I think that's an incredible film. Although I've, I've really sort of grown out of seven. I used to hold it in really high regard and I don't anymore. I think it's aged quite a bit. Yeah. Look, I really need to go back and watch it again. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yep. Maybe it's the fact that just so many films tried to be seven after the fact and, and I'm sort of a bit sort of you know, just worn down by it. It became 
yeah, it did become the serial killer film by which all other serial killer films were judged for a while there. Yeah, and you've you've already mentioned a couple that you know, were, were copycat films of Seven. Copycat being one, um, Bone, mm. Bone Collector being Very another. Much. And I think the biggest copycat of them all is actually probably the best one of them all was Resurrection, the the Christopher Lambert film with uh, Russell Mulcahy directing. Do you remember that one? It was all about. I do I remember on video? Didn't he? What was it? What about Night Moves? Night Moves. You're not talking about. No, no, no. There's Night Moves as well. The chess one. The yeah, chess serial. Killer. I remember that one. No, but Resurrection had the guy instead of um, fulfilling the seven deadly sins, he's rebuilding the body of Christ by killing people with you know, prophet names and you know taking their arms and their legs and their torsos to rebuild the oh, body right. of Christ. Right, that sounds like. Do you remember uh, Glimmer Man? Yes, with I... Steven Seagal <laughs> and uh... is it Marlon. No, who was in that one with him? Is, is it Damon Wayne? No, I think one? it was. Was it Keegan Ivory? Oh, is it Keenan Ivory? Yeah. Is it Keenan Ivory Wayne? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, that was a that was another one with it. It was a weird kind of Christ fixation. Yeah, um, and uh, Steven Seagal had his had his Buddhist beads. Yep, um, Taking Lives uh, was a pretty good one with uh, Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. And Ethan Hawke that had a like seven. It had a twist at the end. You know, they all had to have a twist. Yeah, they always have a have a nice little twist. Yeah. And I think uh, what's another one? Um, the Cell. Do you remember the Cell with um, Vincent D'Onofrio and Jennifer Lopez? Yeah, that was a weird one because it was almost like a it was like a masquerading as a serial killer film uh, because it, yeah. they go into his they go into his mind and I guess it is, but they kind of know who it is. It was essentially like um, it was Silence of the Lambs meets Dreamscape. Yeah. But I always thought the more interesting thing about the cell was they leaked the director Tarsum's uh, like no list or whatever it was on one of those urban legend websites where it was, you know, you may not look at Tarsum in the eye. You may not directly address Tarsum, all this kind of stuff. And he was like a, virtually a first time filmmaker. Like he'd come out of music videos or something. And you're like, this guy has a set of balls on him. Yeah. What the hell? And especially because the movie, I don't remember it being a, a like a smash hit. It certainly was not. I mean, he did go on to make a few really good films. I think uh, The Fall was an incredible film. Or did he make that first? I think he made that second. The Fall. Really weird. It's like The Cell without a serial killer in it. Right. And then and then he, he did, um, it wasn't Gods of Egypt because that was Alex Perez, but he did one like that. Immortals, The Immortals. Right. Anyway, digression. <laughs> He's no. I always thought he was. He was always a like a second-rate M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> Shyamalan, Shyamalan, and Ding Dong. He might have a little bit more style in Shyamalan, though. No, it's just. I guess it was because they were, what well, they were both uh, uh, Indian. <laughs> yeah. And that was that was really for me. That was a, that was always just enough to kind of lump them in together, even though they were completely different. Uh, kinds of filmmakers and everything but you're always like oh because you know m night kind of broke the he broke and then it was like and tarsum was kind of like almost almost immediately after yeah and you're like oh this is like hollywood doing its usual horse shit where you know they've got one one success so they just try and replicate it uh, immediately Tarsum Singh, that's it. Oh, dear. I didn't know that he even had a like. I didn't know that he went by his surname. I always thought he was like like Madonna, like he was just Tarsum. Right. But he actually has a uh, he has a surname according to IMDb, which is lovely. There you go. He's like the Indian Sinbad. Oh, that's right. The fall. That's right. That was that super weird one. Yes, <laughs> I do remember that. 
And in Mirror Mirror, which I still have not seen, though I do want to see because I like Lily Collins. Yeah, that's right. Um, got to check that one out. What's he doing now? He's doing uh, <laughs> back to music videos. A Lady Gaga <laughs> video short was the last thing he did. Which one? So uh, it was called A Lady Gaga 911. Oh, I know that one. Uh, that was this year, so it's just relatively new. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Oh, no, Mortals. Yeah, okay. That was, it was a, uh, like a 300 kind of thing. Uh, yeah. What was the other one? Um, they, they, they remade and they had a sequel to it, uh, which is another War of the Gods one. Oh. The, it was a, the original one was a Ray Harryhausen special effects. Clash kind of, of the Titans. Clash of the Titans. That's the one. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and then and then um the the what's her name Jon Snow one too Pompeii they all kind of <laughs> oh, yeah. you know that was that was Paul W S Anderson who um <clears throat> who I'll be featuring a conversation with <laughs> over the summer break Paul W Anderson Paul W S Anderson uh, directs nothing but the best yep like they're not director video films but you kind of like you go see them at the cinema but you think I should be watching this at home. <laughs> Yeah, but then you watch like you watch them at home and you think, I wish I saw this at the cinema. I saw the cinema, yeah. Like I mean, they're, they're like spectacular looking films. Like he he is he's incapable of doing it, making a bad looking film. But um, and yet, comparatively speaking, he makes them very cheap. And and I talked to him about that. So yeah, there's, right. there's something to um tantalate the taste buds for people over the summer. <laughs> but, dude, that was that was a huge digression. I don't know even how we got there. Yeah, what are we talking about? What was, I don't the, know. what was it? What were we talking about the show? I can tell you one thing is that Adam absolutely frothed at the mouth when I asked him to talk about serial killer movies. So let's find out which one made him hard. <laughs> hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another good movie Monday recommendation. This week, if we're talking serial killers, uh, look, there's two movies that we should really be talking about. Silence of the Lambs is one. That's the one that I won't be talking about here, but I have reviewed previously. But what I will be talking about here is my favorite serial killer movie, and that is David Fincher's Seven. Now, this movie is always gonna be in my top five films. Uh, I might give you all five of them on another episode, but this sits firmly at about number three, and I don't think it will ever really move from there. This is the movie that definitely made me fall in love with David Fincher as a director, um, Fight Club being my favorite film of his. But my mother was in love with Brad Pitt, as was everyone's mother, uh, when this film came out and then said to me uh, in 1995, and then she went to the movies, right? And I used to live vicariously through my parents going to the movies because I couldn't go to this shit. And I'd say, what'd you see? Like, how did you feel about it? And they would tell me these kind of like, you know, bad synopses and I'd be like, that sounds really cool. And mum came back from the new Brad Pitt film and she was so shaken, she couldn't even really speak. And she just kind of just went to bed and then like the next day she just said to me, Adam, just like promise me, you will just not watch this film. Like I've only ever seen another film and that was The Exorcist she was talking about, that is evil. And this film, Seven, is evil. So of course, young me needed to get my grubby little hands on this. Uh, and so that when it was released on home video, I went around and I watched it at my friend Mick's house and I still vividly remember watching it on this small telly, just on that VHS and I had never, ever seen a piece of art this unrelentingly bleak and I fell in love with it. Uh, I look, I mean, I have seen this film maybe a hundred times. Every single time I just get jazzed on it. I cannot get enough of it because I just think, you know, Fincher is my favorite director and his impeccable technical eye 
coupled with his cynical, bleak sensibility, it just appeals to me in so you know in so many ways. And here, the, you know, this movie is so impeccably shot, and it is just so merciless, and it's so atmospheric. You know, where these crimes are taking place, you just don't want to live there. The character work here of Mills and Somerset, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman is exceptional. Gwyneth Paltrow is fantastic. Um, the killer here, who is off the title, uh, <laughs> I don't actually want to spoil it for anyone. Like, God forbid you haven't seen this film. If you have, go and check it out. So I'm not going to. But basically, uh, yeah, the killer is a very famous actor and his name is taken off the credits. And so that was a very clever move there as well. Um, Obviously, as the title suggests, we all know that this movie revolves around the seven deadly sins, and you know, and Fincher is doing that thing of of show, uh, well, of tell and don't show, right? And he is just alluding to what has taken place, and we arrive at these crime scenes, you know, and that Fincher, you know, meticulous detail is there in the most grotesque way and we fill in the gaps of what has happened in these crime scenes and it just lingers in your mind well for me since I saw it in about 1996 on home video so I've never ever really managed to shake some of the crimes in this movie I wish that there you know people try and recapture this lightning in a bottle that this movie did I really liked any Villeneuve's prisoners and stuff and now and then we get you know a beautifully shot atmospheric killer movie but none really have just gone down into the bowels of hell the way that Seven has. Um, the credit sequence of this movie is, you know, in my mind, pound for pound, the best credit sequence ever and just sets a tone uh, and it's got, you know, my boy Trent Reznor on there as well, a little bit of Nine Inch Nails, but um, just, yeah, Christ, this movie is just going for it. And Finch has been quoted saying that he was always interested in movies that scar and this is a movie that will basically brand you for life. So Seven, if you haven't seen it, I am just dead set envious that you haven't seen you know what is another david fincher masterpiece check it out immediately beyond five stars for me six stars if i could give it to seven check it out <laughs> well that that right there mate that explains the bulge in adam's pants i thought it was just because he worked out a lot how do you explain yours it's just naturally there <laughs> it's always there it's not because we've got giveaways to give away no that 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 it just increases in its girth <laughs> We've got free passes to the Lunar Drive-In, plus a copy of Peter Facinelli's new film, The Vanished, starring Anne Heche, Thomas Jane, and Jason Patrick, as well as a copy of the very effective serial killer slasher film, Trick, both thanks to Eagle Entertainment. Um, all you got to do is be the first to identify the TV spot from earlier in the show. It's pretty easy stuff, so get on it. It's worth $90. Email glenn at fakechamp.net with the answer. But um, Do you notice that uh, that film has two it's two male lead actors have two first names well there you Even go patrick is spelt incorrectly but it's still jason patrick and thomas jane you're like come on dudes how about we just close the show with some recommendations let's do it all right so this is the part where we just select a particular film that uh, we think you should watch as soon as you get a chance and you know, maybe share it on Facebook. Tell us what you think about it. Social media, find Good Movie Monday on Facebook or YouTube. And um, just, yeah, let us know. We'd love to talk to you about these things. Uh, what have you come up with this week, mate? I've come up with a film from 1975. I'm actually, like, I'm trying to think if there's a way to tie it into the to the theme of this week's show. And I don't really know if there is. <laughs> there kind of is, but not re- But I don't know if not really. It's, uh, no, it's 1975. It's directed by Clint Eastwood, stars Clint Eastwood. It is the Iger Sanction. Oh, I thought you were going to say Dirty Harry, which was a serial killer film. And there you go. There's your tie-in. Yeah, that would be great. Scorpio is a a serial killer. But uh, no, no. I mean, this one kind of is too, because he's, um, 
he's like an assassin. Yep. Who is sent after a uh, sent after a, another spy? Is that is that like who's disguised as one of the members of this um, mountain climbing? Uh, tri- who are who are trying to ascend the Eiger mountain? Yep, and he has to infiltrate the, them, and he gets is there some awesome training montage stuff with uh, George Kennedy, uh, who's his trainer slash, yeah, uh, more. I don't want to <laughs> don't want to give anything away there, but uh, it's a it's a yeah. Look, it's an excellent film, definitely worth checking out. I don't want to kind of. His stuff at the beginning, because the the guy who sends him on his missions is this albino, who Clint Eastwood hates, uh, and it's he's he's a and in this too Clint Eastwood is like an Indiana Jones type character, like he's an art he's an art professor, and he only he only kills people for the government in order to afford uh, paintings by <laughs> by famous artists, which is you know one of the I guess one of the better reasons for bumping off people, I guess maybe. I, it's a it is a it's a classic film. I bought I bought the Iger Sanction about two months ago, um, alongside the Stone Killer, which was a, a serial killer film with Charles Bronson. I haven't been back to Iger yet. I I just can't wait to. I remember watching it on VHS very long ago, but the cover art kind of amuses me and excites me at the same time. It's got like, yeah. Look, it definitely is a film. I think where the first three quarters are stronger than the the last quarter. Yep. which is a, which is like a mountain thriller which and funnily enough I could have I, I don't know why I didn't it would have been perfect for the show but a, a very similar film I could have talked about um uh shoot to kill with Sidney Poitier and Tom Berenger and Clancy Brown and Kirstie Alley and they similarly there's a, a killer who's disguised as a, a, who's infiltrated this group of hikers who are going into the mountains and Sidney Poitier is the city cop who's tracking him down. He's a serial killer who's bumped off a bunch of people in the city. And Sidney Poitier comes to hunt him down. And but he's found out he's gone on a tour with Kirstie Alley's, uh, and Kirstie Alley's the guide, her her troop. And he must he has to rely on Tom Berenger, Kirstie Alley's boyfriend, Mate. to help him track them down. And your old favorite, Mister Suicide in the Bathtub. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Richard Messer, who does not fare well in this film. <laughs> He's a pussy in, in true, everything. In true Richard Messer fa- uh <laughs> He's 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 like uh he's like Sean Bean before Sean Bean. Shoot to Kill is one of my legitimate all-time favorite films. In fact, top 20 of all time and obviously in Australia we had it released as Deadly Pursuit. And Deadly Pursuit, that's when right. when I moved to Vancouver in Canada, which is where the film was made, the first thing I did was track down locations for Shoot to Kill. And the finale takes place sort of under a waterfall in a town square. And I ended up being at that place nearly every month, just, you know, in my regular, you know, day-to-day sort of, you know, going abouts. And every time I was there, I just wanted to reenact running through that waterfall. (laughs) I was going to say, did you... uh... Did you force people to jump off cliffs by sheer force of will? <laughs> no, but I found the gorge that they filmed at, where they wow. had you know, the trolley car going across and all that, which the trolley car yeah, right. the trolley car wasn't there, but it was the same location. And yeah, no, I just adore that film. That is a great serial, serial killer film. Um, mine kind of is like a, a cross between both of those in a way. Um, this is one from 2013 that kind of 
came and went without without any fanfare. It's called Frozen Ground, and it had Nicolas Cage and John Cusack and Vanessa Hudgens. And it's the true story of Robert Hassan, who's a, like, when it comes to serial killers, he's like, you know, if you were to have favorites, <laughs> he's one of my favorites. He's like, he's my favorite killer. He, he was an Alaskan serial killer who, whose crimes lasted for 13 years and he was considered impossible to catch. And it's because he had a pilot's license and he would fly the bodies of his victims up to the Arctic tundra and bury them under the ice. You know, and, right. and no one in their right mind is going to be up in the Arctic tundras. And the only way he got. Please tell me it's. It's Nicolas Cage is that guy. No, John Cusack is the killer. Wow. Yes, and Nicolas Cage is the FBI guy on his, you know, trying to catch him. And the only way, and this is no spoiler, it's a true crime, people can look it up. The only way they caught him was because Vanessa Hudgens plays uh, a victim who got away and managed to, you know, just you know, know his face and able to sort of connect the dots and they, they sort of backtrack through the crimes. You know, what they do in the FBI. They solve crimes. I thought you were going to say... It's because Vanessa Hudgens participated in an elaborately choreographed dance sequence that pointed out that it was John Cusack. <laughs> Vanessa Hudgens showed them a copy of Grease Live, said, watch this. And... <laughs> hey, here's some... And if, and if anyone applauds, they are a, a, a psycho killer. All right, would you like... I'm going to do a, a massive digression because I want to talk about Vanessa Hudgens making Grease Live, <laughs> just for a second. <laughs> You know how whatever network it was, we're doing a whole lot of live productions, and Greece was one of them. So this one, mm. this one, on the day it aired, Vanessa Hudgens' dad died the night before, and she went on to make this, you know, do this whole live two-hour thing with that Wayne, right. with that Wayne on her, and she plays Rizzo, and it's an incredible performance. Anyway, end digression. But that's, I mean, it's good that she's playing Rizzo and not Sandy because Rizzo. Is pretty much in a bad mood. <laughs> the whole the the whole film anyway. I mean, she's she's terrified she's pregnant, but but because of that, she's in a bad mood in the film. So it kind of she got to use it. It kind of changes things though when you watch the film, knowing that you know it. it yeah, it, it is quite good. It, you know, I I don't like those type of live productions, but this one it was good anyway. Frozen ground. <laughs> it's um, it's frozen a, ground. Yeah. It's a it's a dark. It's clever. It's it's a real sort of procedural thriller as well as just being a complete chiller at the same time. So yeah, I'm gonna have to check it out. Uh, and with that, it's time for us to go. Uh, but before we do, just want to uh, let you know that we have another Ripper show coming up next week. It's our second to last episode. And uh, before we take a well-earned break over the New Year's period, so to join us next Monday, we're going to be talking to Hollywood actor Michael Gross to discuss his latest and possibly final installment of the Tremors franchise. Uh, it's a great one to cap the year off. Um, we've had some incredible guests and that's a good one to finish with. So for now, thanks to Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, Joe, Chad and James. They bring the goods every week. Um, muchas gracias to Lucha Libre of Good Movie Monday. Ben, that's you. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and gratitude to Eagle and Luna Driving. Uh, they keep us covered with our regular prizes and we are grateful. And of course, to you listening. Gratitude. Yes, you have our and to you who's listening thanks legends uh, we always end the show with a song today we take a track from one of my all-time favorite bands it's blind melon it's from their 1995 album soup and the the song is about the butcher of plainsfield ed gain it's called skinned and it's a disturbingly fun song so keep your doors locked watch your backs and uh, we'll see you next monday
I'll make a shoehorn out of your shin. I'll make a lampshade of durable skin. No, don't you know that I'm always feeling able when I'm sitting home and I'm carving out your navel. I'm just sitting here carving out your navel. When will I realize that this skin I'm in, hey, it isn't mine? And when will the kill be too much of me? And we.